Sure. All right, you can be seated. Just one announcement before we take up the offering today. Um, tomorrow, Sunday, 11 o'clock, Otis from the district office will be here to um, meet with anybody that wants to stay involved with Marshall Assembly of God. So if you don't know, um, a shocker right now that today's my last day here. Oh, I didn't know. No, you guys have known long enough. But um, So today's my last service. Tomorrow, Otis will be here at 11 o'clock. Please be here because he wants to hear everyone's input on the next steps and where you're heading um, as a church together. So don't miss that meeting. Again, what time tomorrow? 11 o'clock. All right? Well, Brian, if you'd take up the offering, let's just pray over it, and then we want to jump right into today's message. Father, we just thank you, Lord, like Isaiah prayed earlier. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to just worship on you together with friends and family, to lift your name up, Jesus. And God, we ask and we continue to ask that you help us be good stewards of all the resources you've given us as a church and as an individual and a family. Lord, with everything you've given us, God, we just return to you right now the first fruits. God, you use it, bless it, to reach Marshall and around the world with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I do want to encourage everybody that can stay to stick around after service. We are barbecuing. Brian's got some hot dogs and I think brat burgers and all sorts of goodies. So uh, there's plenty of food. Please stick around. All right. Well, today I bring to you a very simple message with a very powerful and sobering warning. As my last message, I'll be preaching here at Marshall Assembly again. Um, the title of today's message is, Do What You Know to Do. Do what you know to do. So I want us to look at two different accounts in the Bible. So turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 10. Sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 10. 
1 Samuel chapter 10. This first story is one of a king, the newly appointed king Saul, who though he was following the Lord's commands, he fell into the trap that many of us do of impatience. Sometimes we get the word of the Lord, but we don't want to wait for the Lord to accomplish what he's told us. And um, I have to admit, that's, um, that's me a lot of the time. I am a very impatient person. The Lord is working with me on that one. Um, a pastor in Traverse City, when I was youth pastoring up there, he told me that he was always afraid to tell me if the Lord gave him a word for me because he said, I knew you'd just run with it because that's how you are. And I thought, well, yeah, I am. But as I was researching this story and looking this over, when we know what we should do, when God's spoken to us, that isn't the end and all. We need to wait for him to accomplish it. So let's look at this story picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 10. The story picks up here with the prophet Samuel giving very clear instructions to the newly appointed King Saul. So starting in verse 5, he says, when you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, very specific here, and they'll be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them you will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me, and I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. But you must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. Now turn over to chapter 13. Let's see if he followed the very specific instructions that was given to him. In 1 Samuel 13, we pick up the story now that he's went and Saul has been doing what he's supposed to be doing here. Verse 5. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. Good job, Saul. As Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Verse 10, just as Saul was finishing, isn't that how it always goes? 
Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to me and welcomed him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, hey, I saw my men were scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. It wasn't that day seven still? Yeah. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. I just love that word, Michmash, Michmash. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. He was on day seven. It was day seven. All he had to do was wait a little bit longer. A little bit longer. But we get the word where we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do, and we want to jump to it. And sometimes God shows you things that might not even come into fruition for years from now. I mean, I've still got things that God's placed in my heart that I haven't seen, and he placed those in my heart 20, 25 years ago. And I still haven't seen them come. So I'm not impatient in all areas. But impatience is a killer of God's commands. Because did you see, he didn't get any props for doing what he was supposed to do. Completely, you have disobeyed God because you didn't wait. There's timing, God's timing. The account of the newly appointed King Saul gives us a clear warning to wait for the Lord to do what he said he would do. Don't get impatient and try to take care of things yourself. Oh, that's me. I mean, especially when you look around and think, well, I can, I can do this. I can fix this. I mean, what happens when our finances start going, let's just say, awry? Well, as men, I know I've counseled uh, quite a few of them. They feel this desire in them to fix it now. I'll fix it. Even when their relationship starts going, let's just say, awry there too, with their spouse, they want to fix it, fix it. And sometimes God just wants you to just wait on him. Because if men, if you're constantly fixing things, where's God getting the glory? So wait on him. Wait on him. Do what you know you're supposed to do. Wait on him. Verse 8, Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Let me tell you, have you ever felt like you've done just what God has told you to do, but the answer still hasn't come? Brenda, I've been tithing. I've tithed, I've tithed, I've tithed. You keep preaching on tithing. I've tithed, and I'm still not seeing the blessing come from that. Hold on. Wait for God. 
I keep praying for my loved one, my son, my daughter, my cousin, my brother, my spouse, and to come to the Lord, and I still don't see anything happening. Keep praying. Keep believing. God's timing. God's timing. Verse 10, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Too many times we give up on the precipice, right on the edge of the answer, and we turn around. I wanted to research. I heard this story. I've told it a hundred times, but, you know, with old age comes, you know, a lack of remembrance at times. And there's a story of this mining team in these mountains that worked for years and years and years. They knew that in these hills, in these mountains, were a gold that, you know, is there. And they knew, and they kept working in years and years and years and years. Well, they gave up. They finally just gave up. And come to find out they were less than 100 feet away from hitting those gold mines. Somebody else later found them. But that mining team, years and years ago, could have hit it if they just wouldn't have given up. 100 feet away from them. Their answer, the promise. Sometimes we give up way too easy. Oh, but God, we're calling out. It's the seventh day. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Forget it. I'm sick of waiting. And we take off. And he's like, I was right here. He was right at your doorstep. He was getting ready to knock on your door, and you left out the back. Tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. Impatience. You will suffer when you fall prey to your impatience. God has given you a word, stick to it, stand on it, and don't give up. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that we had been praying and believing God for this specific house. When we knew we were moving up um, to Beulah, Traverse City area, whatever you want to call it, so many little towns right around there, we found a house for rent right in the middle of the town, perfect size, well, it was an okay size. It was going to work for us. We could see the lake if we squinted real hard and bent down and looked through the trees. You know, we could kind of see a little piece of the lake out there, which was nice. One of the times, a couple weeks later, we went up there. I was supposed to meet the owner. We were going to finalize, you know, and get us in there and get us, you know, a place so we could move in. And out of the blue, he just up and refused. I'm not even going to rent it anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember going home, heading home that weekend, and shaking my head and thinking, what did I do wrong, God? We fasted, we prayed, we believed. That was the perfect place. It's right where we need. So then I started calling on, you know, God, I just pray right now that you just grab a hold of that man's heart and you just, you know, if this is the enemy and you, you just lose him to just see clear that this is the house for us and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And just as clear as day, I heard God speak to me and say, do you want what? you want or do you want what I want to give you? And I thought, oh, I did it again. How many times have I preached, stop preaching or stop praying God into a box? I preached that over and over again. You know, God's ways are bigger than our ways. God's thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. God sees farther than we can see. He knows what's best for us. And yet we keep asking for these specific little things. And he's saying, really, that's what you want? Because I had this for you. But if that's what you want, sure, okay, here you go. 
When God said that to me, I thought, whoa, hands off. I'm done, God. Whatever you want. So I was very specific. I started calling the people that's been praying with us and said, you know what? Don't pray specific <laughs> on a certain house because obviously God's got something better. So I'm going to back off. God, whatever you want, you know you're calling us up there. You know what we need. Does he not know what you need? God knows what you need. Is he not a good God? Is he not a good father? course he is. Does he not want to do good to his children? Of course he does. So why do we keep asking for breadcrumbs when he's got the whole loaf on the table and wants you to sit at the table with him? And we keep sitting on the floor and saying, just feed me the scraps. And he's saying, really, is that all you want? I got more for you, but if that's all you want, I mean, come on, parents, you've done it with your own kids. I've done it with my kids where I've had in my mind already what I wanted to get them for Christmas. I love giving gifts. I love giving gifts. Love it. And I love big gifts. But I'll always ask them every year, so what do you want for Christmas? If you could have one thing, what, it would, what would it be? They never came close to what I wanted to give them. Never. Well, okay, Isaiah did get close one year, but he's just greedy like that at times. He knows his position as our son. Most of us don't know our position as the son or the daughter of a king. We have so much more that God wants to give us, and we just have to start receiving it. But we have to wait for him to give it to us. Stop trying to fix things and take care of stuff yourself. Get to the edge of there when you think you're on the seventh day, and God, where are you, where are you, where are you? I'm not giving up, God. I'm not leaving here. I know you're coming through. I'm standing on your promises. I know you're a good God. Don't fall prey to impatience. We have to wait for God to bring things in his timing, not in ours. His timing brings his blessing. Your timing, well, it's just your blessing. His timing brings his blessing. The other account is one of a prophet I want to look at with you. It's in 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to read this to you out of the New Living Translation. This is a, the story, the account of a prophet who knows exactly what the Lord told him to do. And he's even good at doing what he's supposed to do in God's timing. But we'll see in this story, he doesn't do exactly what God told him to do. Exactly. God is a very specific God. When he tells you to do something, he doesn't mean however you want to do it. He knows exactly how he needs you to do it. So let's look at the story together in 1 Kings chapter 13. It says, At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. 
On you he will sacrifice the priests from the pagan shrines who come here to burn incense. The human bones will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. This altar will split apart and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. When King Jeroboam heard the man of God speaking against the altar at Bethel, he pointed at him and shouted, Seize that man! But instantly the king's hand became paralyzed in that position, and he couldn't even pull it back. At the same time, a wide crack appeared in the altar, and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had predicted in his message from the Lord. Then the king cried out to the man of God, Please ask the Lord your God to restore my hand again. So the man of God prayed to the Lord, and the king's hand was restored, and he could move it again. Then the king said to the man of God, Come to the palace with me and have something to eat, and I will give you a gift. But the man of God said to the king, Even if you gave me half of everything you own, I would not go with you. I would not eat or drink anything in this place. Listen to this. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. So he left Bethel and went home another way. Very specific instructions. As it happened, there was an old prophet living in Bethel. And his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked them, which way did he go? So they showed their father, which road the man of God had taken. Quick, saddle my donkey, the old man said. And they saddled the donkey for him. And he mounted it. Then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked him, are you the man of God who came up from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, Come home with me and eat some food. No, I cannot, he replied. I am not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. Listen to the warning. But the old prophet answered, Well, I'm a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Now, would an angel override God's command? No, I don't think so. Okay, but anyway. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. Bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying to him. So they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. Listen, verse 20. Then while they were sitting at the table, a command from the Lord came to the old prophet, and he cried out to the man of God from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have disobeyed the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back to this place and ate and drank when he told you not to eat or drink. Because of this, your body will not be buried in the grave of your ancestors. After the man of God had finished eating and drinking, 
the old prophet saddled his own donkey for him, and the man of God started off again. But as he was traveling along, a lion came out and killed him. His body lay there on the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. What a story. The account of this prophet gives us a clear warning to do exactly what God has told you to do. Don't ever be led astray by what somebody might say is from God. If it contradicts, if it goes against what God has told you to do, don't listen. The Full Life Study Bible gives us a commentary on the scripture. It says the story of the unnamed disobedient prophet was recorded as an example and warning to believers today. Number one, the scriptures stand as the believer's highest obligation in all things pertaining to God's will for his or her life. The words and teachings of recognized ministers of God or even angels must not be accepted if they contradict the instructions and standards of God's written word. If it goes against what you and I can read in the Bible, it's not from God, no matter how many times they say, thus saith the Lord. Even if they say it in King James Version, thus saith the Lord. If it goes against the written word of God, it's not from God. Number two, disobedience to what God has commanded brings punishment, regardless of your past faithfulness and service. Didn't matter how much he had done before then. He didn't do exactly what he was supposed to do. So it brings punishment. The most perilous position of any believer is to maintain a careless attitude toward the Word of God. The greatest cause of failure among God's people is not taking God's Word as a matter of life and death. God didn't just say all those things in the Bible for it to be a nice little story to read. And, oh, wasn't that nice? They're all written for us, instructions. I learned that way back when, growing up at church, that Bible stood for basic instructions before leaving earth. The B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. It is key to our survival as Christians, and we should take it seriously. I do want to just tell you, there's a point in this story story that always shocks me. Uh, let me just, verse, oh, I'll, I'll pick up verse 23. So after the old man of God had sat there, fed the man when he knew he wasn't supposed to feed him, he knew he was lying. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, now you know you weren't supposed to do this, and now, you know, you're going to die. Verse 23 says, then after the man of God had finished eating and drinking, he sat there and kept eating and drinking. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I was disobedient, even if I was being led astray, because he was being led astray, let's just give him some props here. He, he was listening. He thought, okay, well, maybe that guy said, you know, he's heard from God, and I'll follow him even though it contradicts what I know is right. And he's back there. He's sitting in the word of the Lord, came and said, you knew it, and you wasn't supposed to do this, and you will die. Wouldn't you fall on your knees right there and start repenting? I know I would. I'd be snotting and crying and blubbering, and I'm so sorry, and God, forgive me, and you're a liar. I would have been pointing my finger back at that guy. But it said nothing except that he finished eating and drinking. Then got on the donkey and took off. Listen, once you start following the instructions of others instead of following God's instructions exactly, nothing will make sense. What was he thinking? Why didn't he cry out in repentance right then? Have you ever watched somebody making wrong choices and ask the same things? What were they thinking? Didn't they know something bad was going to happen? Why do they keep making these wrong decisions? Did they think they were going to get away with it? You cannot make sense of sin. Sin makes no sense. It makes no sense to God. Why would anyone choose death over life? Why would anyone try to pay for a penalty that was already paid? It doesn't make sense. Sin will never make sense. Do what you know to do. Whatever God has told you to do must be done exactly as he's told you to do it and in his timing. Anything else, anything less, is sin. James 4.17 says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. It's sin. And sin doesn't make any sense. Over the last two and a half years, I've spoken exactly what I believe God was saying to us here. Messages, encouraging, exhorting, and even warning. But now, it's up to you to go and do exactly what you know you're supposed to do. Don't get distracted. Don't be led astray. Keep your focus and your purpose to reach the lost and the hurting of Marshall. And as I close, if I could give you one last stern warning. Tomorrow when you meet with Otis from the district office, the decisions he's going to ask you to make as a church and your next steps, don't make your decisions based on your comfort. Don't make your decisions based on your preferences. Don't make your decisions on what you want, what you like. Because if you're a saved individual, if you're right in your standing and your relationship with God, you're right. 
You're all right. You're going to heaven. How dare we set and demand our way and our preferences and what we want? It's not about us. So your last encouraging warning exhortation from me as the pastor of Marshall Assembly of God is stop making your choices based on what you want. Don't lose focus of what God's called Marshall Assembly of God to do, and that's reach the lost and the hurting of Marshall. So when you're making those decisions tomorrow about your next steps, don't think about what you want. Think about what will bring them in. Think about what will bring them in and what will bring them in. Anybody else says anything else and tries to lead you astray, correct them. Redirect them. I said over and over again, in the two and a half years I was here, if you're more concerned about the pew you're sitting on than you are the person sitting on it, you need to find a different church. And I hope that that continues to be the heart of Marshall Assembly of God, people. And not just Christians. Christians really are old enough they should be able to take care of themselves growing up in the Lord. But for those people that are hurt, lost, and still waiting to come in, go find them, go get them, and be about them. Let me just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word is so vivid. It's so alive, and it's so applicable to our everyday life. Lord, that we just need to take it as it is, life and death, to our very soul, our very spirit. God, that you can correct us when you need to because you're a loving Father. And we understand that you correct and you discipline those you love, your loving children. And Lord, sometimes you just need to shake us by the nap of the neck and tell us, hey, straighten up, and we'll straighten up. God, we love you and we trust you. God, we ask right now that as we uh, shared and as we studied in your word today that, Lord, that when you tell us what you need us to do, what we're supposed to do, that we won't be impatient and waiting for your answer, your blessing, and your word to be fulfilled, but we will hold on, hold steady, stand strong, and know that we can trust you. And God, we will be faithful. Help us to be faithful to do exactly what you've called us to do. God, we just ask that you continue to just build this church into a light, a beacon, a harbor of hope for Marshall, that you would draw in the hurting and the lost. And Lord, you would continue to keep the focus of the church here on others and not on themselves but on others and reaching Marshall. God, we give you all the glory and the praise today. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As a church, what we want to do is we want to have Pastor Brendan and her family come to the front, if you would. And as a church, if we could gather around them, and uh, pray with them as a family, as a pastor going into a new ministry, that God will be with them, that God will direct them, and that God will have 
his will in their life. So if we could all just come up and gather around them. And just reach your hands out towards them. Lord Jesus, we love you, God, and we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Lord God, we call on your name, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word that you've delivered to us over these last couple of years, Lord. We thank you for the obedience of this pastor, Lord, and her family, Lord God, to listen to you, to follow their calling, Lord Jesus, that you have called them to do. And Lord God, we, Lord, pray your blessing on them, Lord God, as they go to a new calling, to a new place of ministry, Lord Jesus. Lord, this is something that you have spoken into them, Lord God. These are the doors that you have opened, Lord. And God, we pray for your protection on them, Lord God. We pray for unity in this family, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, in Jesus' name, Lord, that you will speak to each member of this family, Lord God. We pray for a hedge of protection around this family, Lord, around their children, Lord God, as they go to new schools, Lord God. Lord, as they become parts of new ministries, Lord Jesus, Lord God. Lord, we speak this over them, Lord God. We know that you are a great and a mighty God. And Lord God, we thank you for the obedience, Lord Jesus, of this family. We thank you for the obedience that they have taught us as a church. And we speak your blessings on them, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's plenty of food downstairs, um, and so it's not a potluck, it's a barbecue. It's a barbecue. <laughs>